Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Yeah, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. to come in, Carl. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, uh, fabulous human beings. How are you on this beautiful Sunday? It's uh, it's turned glorious, I've got to say, from uh, the sound of rain on the roof and coolness in the air to the magnificence of, of winter sunshine on the skin and uh, someone who's been appreciating because he's Back from the summer of the Northern Hemisphere, Carl Chapman, welcome back. Thank you, Cam. Nice to be here. How are you? It's good to see you, my friend. Yes, the uh, it already feels like a long time ago. <laughs> already? <laughs> and I missed the heat wave. Oh, God. You did. Okay, that's, uh, there you go. That was uh, for the question without notice. No, Cam. Miss, but, missed but that come one. back to the Melbourne freeze. Although today is beautiful. It's gorgeous out there. Uh, it, it is indeed. And um, one thing I thought I'd just um, engage you with, because uh, you've been lucky enough to uh, go back to the UK, correct? First time in three years, yes. Yeah, spent a bit of time up in the north, I think, was what you were saying. Oh, the south, the north, the east, and the west. All points of the compass <laughs> shall be uh, shall be met. <laughs> And um, but one thing that um, I'm sure that people would be curious to ask you is that uh, inflation is running rampant through this country, um, of clear and present danger for everything. 
how did you find um, prices of uh, of things? You said that food had gone up. I, I noticed it a lot. Yeah, really? I, I mean, inflation there I think is at nine point something percent. It's it's the highest it's been in decades. Saw that. And uh, yes. food is usually one of the first things to get hit. Uh, fuel, obviously, and uh, yeah, the, the 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 cheap meal out at the pub is a thing of the past. It it felt to me anyway. Really? Uh, yeah. And what about the uh, the pint in your hand? Um, I. I yeah, I mean drinks, that, drinks and food, a, all all really expensive. Oh, because that's relative to the dollar, at least. That's the cornerstone. Excuse me from using a, a foreign word, but the bonhomme of the English experience is to um, all uh, collectively come together in a, in a pub and and have a cheap but delicious pint. Absolutely, and of course, sadly, um, the rate of pub closures over there continues. Um, really? They've lost so many pubs over decades, but certainly during the pandemic, that only hastened the demise of many of those little back street pubs. There's still loads there, don't, don't get me wrong, but a so, lot of Same gone. as what we're seeing here. So yeah. um, the independent retailers from whatever walk of life that they are from are increasingly being threatened would be a correct statement. Yes, yeah? yeah, and people, of course, eating at home. I mean, Uber Eats there, like here, just, you know, people are just happy to be at home and... Uh, but having said that, you know, it's it's school holidays there now, the, the tourist season's kicking off, and uh, there's plenty of people out and about, so yeah. I don't want to paint a picture of complete doom and gloom, it's uh, it's still pretty vibrant. Well, we, we still, as, um, as a species, one of the great things that make us who we are is our adaptability. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, coming to... Uh, uh, to adapt to things. And also, I need to make reference to the science show that was on before, uh, Dr. Shane and Co. with Einstein and Gogo, um, a show which I'm definitely going to have to listen back to because uh, one of the things that has absolutely horrified me is the uh, our environmental report into wildlife, which just got released, yeah. had been held by um, the previous government for over six months now we know why. Let's see. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. On today's show, um, uh, on this beautiful warm winter's day, uh, we check in with half of the duo that makes up Melbourne Rooftop Honey regarding the ongoing Varroa uh, incursion. I don't know if you'd heard about this when you were away, Carl. And, uh, and we question whether a multinational monoculture agribusiness should be allowed to hold the country to ransom. Eyebrows lifted. Yeah, that's radio eyebrows. Someone yeah. told me that's it. It's a I hadn't been aware of this. I'm looking forward to hearing yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. John is at the market. Um, I've just uh, sent a picture through the Instagram of uh, some of his beautiful tomatoes and uh, his glorious, cute little coffee cups from uh, uh, from the 60s. Little demi tasse things. They're um, sort of smoky yellow orange. You can check that out if you want to look at that. Uh, or Cam Smith, eat it. Camps with one word. Uh, John's at the market. And then Justin Metcalf, international man of coffee mystery. Probably has the best job in the world on a Sunday. Sounds pretty good. Well, yeah. you don't know what it is yet. No. <laughs> wait, till you, wait till you hear what it is. Oh, my God. Uh, so, uh, But specifically, uh, we are here to um, celebrate and acknowledge the State Barista Championship because... Uh, the ASCA Southern Region uh, God, Fighter Soy Barista Champion. God, that's a mouthful. Anyway, uh, Anthony Douglas of Axel Coffee is, uh, will be representing us as Victorians in the nationals which come up. And um, I thought we'd talk to uh, Justin Medcalf, who is uh, an ex uh, barista judge. 
um, he's uh, has an ability to comment on the competition. Mm. What make you know? What's I bet you've never been to a barista competition. I haven't. Can what have you got to do? We'll find out. We'll find out. Gosh. 12.07. We're doing pretty well here. Uh, let's move on. And uh, I think waiting in the wings, waiting next to the hive, um, cooling his uh, wings and his jets and warming his honey, uh, we've got Matt from the wonderful duo of Matt and Vanessa, Melbourne Rooftop Honey. A very good afternoon to you, Matt, and thank you for joining us. How you going, guys? Yeah, hey. Yeah. Well, uh, good news. Yeah. Um, we... Good news. Good news is Victoria yes. is officially still varroa free. Hey, the, the 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 Murray River is still holding off the uh, <laughs> the uh, the barbarian invasion. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so been, can, we, can we? Can we? Hey, Matt. Matt, let's let's just uh, backtrack and also maybe not speak so close to your phone. You're a little bit. Um, you're just a tiny bit muffled, so maybe I might just get okay. you to do that. First of all, can we just go back in case someone's been sleeping under a rock or someone's just come from another hemisphere, as Carl has, and could you please explain to us what is Varroa, why does it imperil our industry, please? Okay, so is that, uh, that's a bit clearer for you there? That's really nice. Yeah, Carl's nodding okay. too. He's happy. Okay, Varroa Destructor uh, is, um, is a parasitic mite that lives on... Apis mellifera in uh, most of the other places around the world that Australia had been uh, proud to be varroa free uh, up until uh, the, um, about the, the 20 or 24th, I think, of June, we finally have uh, seen varroa destructor on our mainland here in Australia, Yes, uh, which is a sad day for Australia. Dan, do we know where the incursion took place and how it took place? Do we know that okay, yet? So the... Uh, the, the incursion was detected in Sentinel Highs in the Newcastle port. Yes. Um, what, th- those Sentinel Highs are there for that reason, because we're expecting uh, the mite to come in via shipping. Mm. Um, what they're seeing is, uh, you know, a couple of mites in the, in the port uh, hives. Um, there's other... Yeah, so they're tracking down hives that are nearby and, and, and beekeepers that are migratory and moving their bees around in and out of those areas over the last few weeks and months. Yep. And they've, uh, they've tracked um, some mites back to other another farm um, and then following logbooks of beekeepers, and, and there's a good thing for beekeepers to always keep nice good logs of what you're doing with your bees. Yes. Um, they're able to track back to all the different sites and look back and uh, look at how the varroa has been spreading and, and they've seen bigger numbers in other places, which might indicate that it's, it's potentially uh, not come in through the Newcastle port, but come in otherwise uh, and made and, and got into the Newcastle Sentinel Hive. But wow. uh, that is unsure at the minute. They're, they're still looking into how it possibly got in, if it was another port or via uh, beekeeping equipment or something that's come across, you know, through through air flight or something. Yes. Uh, but that Sentinel Hive has done its job and, and has, has shown an early detection of it all. Wow. Well, so, so we sort of, we were a bit lucky in that, and it's... Uh... I don't know why, but it reminds me of the fall of Singapore, World War Two, where they had all the guns were uh, facing out to sea, and then the Japanese came behind and went, ah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and that's exactly it. That's, you know, when uh, the, the um, Ag Victoria and Ag New South Wales were always aware that and expecting it to come in through the port, and if, yes. if it's come in uh, via, you know, some, some beekeeping equipment that's come in uh, um, via, you know, uh, air travel, yeah. Um, 
you know, that's exactly right. It's come in behind their back while they've got their backs towards the mainland watching the ports. It's, it's, it's in there behind it's, their back. It has literally come through the back door. So um, can I just get an idea of this this disgusting little creature? Well, no, it's it's not. It's, it, 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 it well, just, it's, it, it's it, just doing what it's got to do exactly. to live. Exactly. It's, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's biological imperative is A. But um, it's a tiny, tiny creature. So... You can see it, sometimes you can see them on top of a bee's head. It looks like sort of the head of a pin. And I'm just yep. wondering if it's, if it's sort of away from its host, like if it if it's, hasn't got a bee that it's latched onto, um, how long can it survive and how long can it um, uh, survive without, well, feeding and having this, um, uh, this relationship with the bee? Yeah, so this is something I was just discussing with a beekeeper who, uh, one of the volunteers who's been up in New South Wales, is I think uh, what, they're, what they're looking at is they're expecting about five, sometimes to seven days off, off the bee and on a plant or on a flower okay, uh, without yeah. a host. Um, and then it can, be, and it can be inside a hive, not actually attached to the bees themselves, but just living inside the hive for, for even longer than that. Mm. So, yeah, it does, it does pose a, a pretty uh, big threat. And so the Apis mellifera, our... European honeybee wasn't the natural host. It was originally um, it was originally a parasite on Apis serrana, the eastern honeybee or Asian bee. And, uh, and, and it, it and was it able species. to uh, to have a relationship where it didn't kill the host. Well, they, yeah, they've evolved. They've, they've they've had they've had the parasite for you know uh, mm. decades, and if not maybe even centuries, that, that gotcha. we, you know before we were aware. Yeah, but yeah. we're only aware of it really being on Apis mellifera uh, for. You know, 40, 50 decades now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, the Apis mellifera haven't evolved like Apis serrana have. So gotcha. um, that's so, leading to things like uh, colony collapse disorder. That uh, we, which is, we've devastated hives in North America, Canada uh, and Europe. And as you said, up until now, we've been fortunate not to have the incursion because... That's one good thing about living on a giant island continent. But uh, yeah. uh, so nothing uh, south of the Murray as of yet. Touch wood. Boom, doing that. Um, yep. Where is it? What's it doing? Uh, and yeah, uh, what's so being done about it now? Um, big uh, ground crew effort, huge ground crew effort. So uh, Agriculture New South Wales, uh, working with Agriculture Victoria, mm-hmm. um, and we have uh, we have some things called some uh, FQRT, so state quarantine um, representatives, yes. um, which are uh, beekeepers, um, hobbyist beekeepers, recreational, some commercial guys as well, that have been trained up by the department to act as a field uh, agent um, okay. to go out and, and, and work for um, the DPI in each state. Um, and at the minute, uh, loads of Victorian uh, FQRT and beekeepers are going up as ground crew, going around uh, following the log books of the, of the beekeepers and, and looking where they're expecting to find varroa. Uh, and the good news is yes. they, are, they are finding varroa where they're expecting to find varroa, which is a good thing. Oh, okay. That's that's not a bad thing. And and therefore, the converse would be true as well. There, where they haven't been expecting, they haven't found any. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly right. um, We we saw, you know, in our in our. you know, DPI bulletins and things coming in, um, uh, new location, new location, new location, and it looked 
quite doom and gloom for the for the first kind of two weeks. But uh, that that is um, that is them getting on the ground and going around and checking those sites and, and finding what they're expecting to find. And then uh, we're up to about 40 locations, but now that number hasn't climbed at all for, for days, which is oh, a good wow. thing. So uh, that 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 is a positive sign that. Uh, they may be on top of this. And the other thing to, to be aware is Varroa, uh, Varroa mite is a slow-spreading parasite. It only travels about five kilometres a year naturally. Oh, it's only so got it's little tiny, it's got little tiny yeah. legs, Matt. <laughs> so it's um, it's uh, it's hive movement that is is the, yes, the biggest uh, yeah threat for this. So um, working with it, um, and that's been amazing. So New South Wales put a, a freeze on all hive movement. Mm. Uh, originally, it was just the red zones where they found it, and then they had um, they had orange zones around that that you know they were they were watching, and but so they. They made a, like a heat map of such of, of the of the hotspots where they were finding it and yes. different conditions around it. New South Wales government put a freeze on all hive movements, which was really good. That's the, the best the best thing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what what we did see in the background was um, the almond industry. They are getting very nervous about almond pollination season, which uh, is is effectively starting in the next two weeks. Uh, as early as the next two weeks, we're starting to see some really, really early um, bud swell and some even um, almost ready to go into almonds yes. um, for, for that season. So the almond industry is getting incredibly nervous about the 200-odd thousand hives that they need for pollination this year. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa, 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 what did you say? 200,000 hives that they need. <laughs> no, just yeah. I, stop. Yeah. What? <clears throat> Stop. Yeah. Wow, that's. I'm getting a mental image because when I think about a hundred thousand unit of anything, I'm looking at Carl. Um, I think MCG. So I'm thinking every yeah. seat in the MCG with a hive on it times two. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. Yep. So that, yeah, it's and, incredible. And where yeah. are all these hives going to come from? And is that something which could imperil agriculture? There you go, underline full stop, um, in this country. Yeah. Uh, Typically in the past, all of those hives come in to mainly the Sunraysia region around uh, Mildura, Robinvale, or our almond field. So uh, there's some in New South Wales as well, in uh, southern New South Wales. Yeah. Um, But generally all those hives come into Victoria from South Australia, Queensland, uh, Victoria, and um, New South Wales. Uh, so there's great concern about um, New South Wales being between Queensland and Victoria and how yeah. to get those bees here yes. safely. Yes. Uh, and and basically then, then you've got state governments uh, negotiating with each other, for a better term, about uh, can can we have the highs or can we stop the highs? Um, you know, you've got you've got the, the beekeepers who, who rely view? on... What's your view? Oh, what should they do? What should happen? Personally, we have an, an, an enormous biosecurity risk of letting New South Wales hives into Victoria. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So uh, what, what we've got... Uh, yeah, it, it, my my personal uh, opinion is we have one industry, almonds, yes. that... Um, a monoculture. Are, are, ...are effectively going to risk every industry that requires pollinators because they want to see the numbers that they need for their season. And it should also be noted uh, that 
not that I want to prejudice anything, but uh, the fact that, A, it's a monoculture, B, it's a multinational agribusiness with its financial roots in Singapore. Is that correct? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Predominantly, uh, our almond fields are all owned by Singaporean businesses, investors. Yeah, we'll let others uh, make up their own yeah. mind into that. Well, we're uh, we're getting to it. It's around about twelve twenty. Uh, we yeah. might need you to go and enjoy the rest of your day. What is uh, what is on for the rest of your day? I, I suppose the the hives what you have would be uh, still fairly sleepy. Well, at the minute, though, you know, we've got a, a cracking day outside, as you guys would be seeing. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that beekeepers are being asked to do, that any day that is uh, remotely nice and you can open the lid on a beehive, is to open it and do a, uh, a sugar shake test or an alcohol wash test, if you can do that. And if there's drones, do a bit of drone uncapping. Yeah. And we want every beekeeper in Victoria to have done, uh, you know, by the, by the, by the mid-spring, uh, one of those tests to have a look for Varroa and, uh, and put that in their logbook. So oh, that's wow. what we'll be doing today is um, continuing doing those, uh, those tests and, and looking for the mite. All right. So but, um, ape, ape but the good, crisps... good news is... Ooh, sorry, yep, yes. Good news is, um, is at the minute we're, we're allowing the Queensland hives here. We're allowing the South Australian hives and the Victorian uh, government has, um, at the moment, still banning New South Wales hives coming across the border, which... It's for good reason. Good. And uh, in the meantime, all you Aperists out there, you have your homework. <laughs> we'll keep you updated. Good. Uh, uh, much love to you. And, Vanessa, thank you for uh, keeping the uh, the drones and everyone happy in the uh, uh, inner city hives. And uh, yep. we look forward to speaking with you when, uh, if there are any other developments. But uh, we'd love to have your ear to the ground for us, if that's okay. Awesome. Thanks for that. Thank you, Matt. Triple R. Sunday morning at the market. It's good. The sun's out. i got John next to me. And he's got a smile on his face. I've got a smile on my face because we're standing in the sun. Yeah. Wednesday when we got to Epping Market, some of my veggies were waiting for me in the car park. Mm. And the boxes had ice on top. No, so you imagine how we felt when we got out of a nice warm truck. Yeah. So this is heaven and a bit more. I was uh, hearing someone saying that for the very first time I've ever heard, um, they were talking about, you know, wheelie bins, rubbish bins. Yes. You know, where have you really been? Um, with frost on it. Yeah, definitely. I've never seen definitely. that. Definitely. You could have ice skated in the uh, paddocks beside the market because it was just so... Um, Luscious grass covered in ice. Mm. Yes, Cam- Cameron's in heaven. He's got a short black coffee. Oh, in one of these little, cute little um, uh, yellow... These are really, really old cups, aren't yes, they? Yes, they're, they're from the 60s. Beautiful glass um, cups from France, I believe. Yes. Um, unfortunately, I broke the beautiful golden Japanese one. Oh, the, yes, yeah, the, but... Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move on we'll to move the... On. the we'll we, move on. We need to move on. First yeah. of all, it needs to be acknowledged that you have come through uh, your double-line experience, you've had the dreaded vid, um, and you're back. So, well done on that. I was very, very lucky. I had a very minor cough for a day and a half. Um, headache for five minutes, and that was it. Well, they built you like a bloody ox, haven't they? Yeah, mate. Yeah, Good yeah. constitution. It must because be. we got beautiful food. It must be. I, yeah, I was just going to say, it's because of the great food that Italians eat. 
Maybe not. But uh, anyway, uh, well done. And we've got a little bit of show and tell today. Uh, The first thing that I need to just uh, let people know um, is the one thing that I've really noticed about um, uh, Tomato City and Shed H this morning is the amount of green tomatoes you've got. What are you starting a green tomato stall or something? Well, it's like this, either green tomato or nothing. Maybe next week we may not have much colour at all. That's why you've got them all in the truck in the sunshine. Yes, so I saw the opportunity to buy some tomatoes that are just turning from green to pinky red. So a few more days they'll be nearly red and ready enough to eat for some people. Not for me. I like mine red red. But uh, I'm sure we'll get a fresh batch of um, tomatoes that have been on the vine another week and it'll come along. But it is very, very hard. There's not a lot of good tomatoes out there. If I had a dollar for everyone that said to me, John, I bought tomatoes, my family would not eat them because mm. they were horrible. Well, so well. it makes me feel good. My suppliers feel good. We're doing the right thing. Yeah, and it's, um, and, uh, it's, it's acknowledging the, uh, the fact of where we are in the seasons that, you know, we've just come out of the pretty much the, well, pretty far out of the winter uh, equinox and um, it's it's winter, so come on It's the first real winter that we've had that it's affected our vegetables for maybe 20 years I keep telling people uh, when my mum and dad went overseas 20 years ago um, I was here on my own and I had to go and buy tomatoes. I normally buy anything between 50 to 100 boxes or more a week. Yeah. I got six boxes for the week. And back then I sold them $15 a kilo. Whoa. All right. Now, then back then $15 would have bought you a lot more um, lollies than you'd get today. I'd probably buy you a steak dinner at a pub. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But since then, the seasons have been fairly controllable if it wasn't. Queensland, that was New South Wales or South Australia or, or, or Western Australia that sent us something that we didn't have. Yes. And prices were fairly stable. Now we've had a very sharp peak and people, uh, short-term memories have forgotten that we do have seasons and now they're feeling it. So, you know, you've got to stop and think. You know, we, we go and buy a big car for 100000 and say, yes, please, because we have to pay for it. Mm. But when it comes to vegetables that we have to have, you have to stop and think that they've been very, very hard to produce. Yes. Even though the, the farmer might get five times the price that he normally gets, he's still not going to make up the difference that he missed from doing volume. And supply and demand. I mean, the, uh, the demand for the limited amount of supply affects things too. You have to acknowledge that as well. Of course, of yeah. course. And, so, and by taking out some markets with the uh, climatic calamities that we've had, i.e. all the floods and stuff like that, this is where we're at. Yes. But now we'll move on and we'll still talk that we are lucky, lucky. We still have oh, okay. an abundance of beautiful things. So I'm going to hold up the coffee and you're going to say it's half full. Yeah, okay. that's right. Good. So first we'll start with a trilogy. Mm. We have a trilogy. We have trilogy. some beautiful little capsicums, just a little bit bigger than an egg. Yes, perfect description. Now, one is a beautiful red, one is a beautiful golden, and one's a golden orange. Now, Franca must have loved us early in a week because she stuffed them and baked them. <gasps> and I had a big plate of pasta. Yes. And then she brought these out, and I ate six of them, and I got into trouble. <laughs> John, three, don't know three, why. three would have been enough. Well, yeah. what do you do? You only live once. <laughs> what, was the, what was the stuffing? 
Uh, we did the aioli and breadcrumbs and panko breadcrumbs yes. and anchovies and parsley and garlic. Didn't put walnuts because Joey can't have the walnuts. Oh, really? Um, but, yeah, they're beautiful. And she did them in the oven so they weren't so oily. Yes. And um, the skin's all burnt a little bit, so I pulled the skin off, which is better, too, because sometimes it can be a little bit heavy. Yeah. But the skin's good for you, too, because it's roughage as usual. Yeah, no, uh, no wonder you had six. Yeah. Uh, can and, I just say, before you move on, these are so pretty, and they are in such good nick. Yeah, they're, they're what we call a snacking capsicum because yeah. it's good for the kids. They pick up one, they chew away, and they've finished one, and there's no waste. Okay. Or, you know, people put them in your lunchbox, and, you know, you, you pick up a nice crunchy capsicum and you feel alive again. And I'm told that these, as usual, the oldies uh, have worked out that they're beneficial for you. They reckon that the orange ones are good for the macula. I don't know if that's true or not. That's in your eyes. In your eyes. And that's okay. What the well, lady I know that um, the I think the yellow ones have more vitamin C than the red ones, and more and vitamin, the, and then it goes down to the green. And the red ones have six times the vitamin C of an orange. Indeed. So, so yeah. you know, that's why we eat this stuff because it's good for you. Not only does it taste good and look good. Yep. And the and the sweetness that comes out of them if you coax it out with good cooking is. Uh, is something to really appreciate. Yes, definitely. Now, the next trilogy... Another trilogy. Another trilogy, trilogy. which is an unusual word in our industry. It certainly is. Um, lettuces have been hard to get good lettuces. Um, yes. Now, we've got some... Um, um, oh, I've had a mental block then. Anyway, we'll talk about this one. Um, <laughs> the, the, the icebergs have been very, very expensive. Yes. And, and, uh, oh, we know had, that. Yes. yes. And we've had green oak, and they've been beautiful. So we've been selling a big green oak for $5. Now, this week, the green oak, um, if you put it in your closed palm of the hand, that it probably still fit in it without sticking out. That's how small they are. Because, oh, wow. yes, we can control some things, but we can't always control the temperature, not even in a glass house. Dare I say that this is stuff that has been seen. There is demand out there again that these have been put out to market earlier than they normally would That's be. That's right. So this one's a trilogy. It's got a bit of green oak. I've got to get more recognition for that. <laughs> doing yeah, definitely. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, well, good good um, boy. You know. it yeah. could, well, I will there get you. there. Don't worry. Don't rush me. It's Sunday. Okay. Um, there, there's green oak. This one, um, it's like an Italian fishbone lettuce, really. Yeah. It's not quite a cause and it's not a green oak. And then there's a, a, a red one as well. Yeah, and yeah, they look... Minion, well, minion I'm head. not sure. Yeah, it could be a mignonette. It looks... Oh, a bit, yeah. a bit of oaky. No, a bit yeah. oaky leaf, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, at least there's a bit of lettuce in there. We're selling $6, so you can buy that and have a meal. Yeah. So you've done well in describing why they're short. Yes. But look at this. Thank look you. At this. This, this oh. is a beautiful ball the size of an ostrich egg. Yeah. And I've taken it out of the bag, and we'll put it in the sun, because that'll oh. accentuate the beautiful magenta, magenta red colour. White stripes on the bottom of the leaf. Majestic magenta. Yeah, a beautiful yeah. radicchio. It looks like a Caravaggio. That's right. Now, yeah. um, a lot of people have been saying, oh, you know, my husband or my kids won't eat it. So I've given them my grandmother's old way of fixing it up. You give it a bit of a chop. Just soak it in water. Soak it in water, five minutes. And a lady actually said to me yesterday, my husband, the fuss pot, actually ate it this week. He didn't pick it out of the lettuce. Oh, good boy. Yes. Well, um, good on you, mate. Can I say one thing about uh, the, the beautiful radicchio? Yes. The beautiful radicchio, one of my favourite lettuces in all the world, is the fact of 
They might be a little bit more expensive. How much are these? Fifteen a kilo. About five bucks for five a big Five bucks one. for that. They're so dense. Yes. Because you just keep peeling them and peeling yeah, them. Yeah, and, and, and they keeps go, in a crisper for weeks. And there's, there's more and more. So, like, you can get out of a, one of these, which is about the size of a small cantaloupe that I'm holding in my hand, um, you could probably get three bowls of salad. Yeah, definitely. Easy. Yeah, Easy but we peasy. mix it in with the other salads. So, yeah. you know, we get a bit of everything. And again, this is good for you. The oldies ate it because it's a bitter, which is good for the blood. It's a blood purifier, is what we say. Mm. But the flavour's magic. Oh, look. But I'm yet to try. I think I will. I bought some beautiful steak yesterday. I'm going to... Going to braise it? Uh, no, I'm no. just going to throw a hot steak on top of it and let it wilt naturally. Oh, right, OK. Uh, that's if I don't eat it on the way to the table. Because a, a mate of mine was telling me he used to work at Florentino back in the day. Uh, they used to braise for a DQO. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and it used to be a little bit of broader. Yes, uh, yes. And then uh, they'd finish it off with, like, a bernoisette. That's right, And yes. thyme. Oh. Yes. And, and there are so many ways you can eat it. So yep. it is a beautiful um, uh, salad. Yep. So get out and try it. And like I said, if you find it's bitter, fix it. And fix then, it. And then even though Put we were talking water. about green tomatoes before, yeah. we've got these beautiful little baubles. One's a round one, which is a red cherry tomato. Yeah. Um, this oh. is a short strand. It's only got about eight tomatoes on it. But yes. some of them have got 16, 20. Yeah. This one's an elongated one, like a little quail egg, um, mini Roma. Yeah. And this has got about yeah, 25 or 30 on it. Oh, my God. And um, they're all even colour. Yeah. Some of them have got a little bit of green on it because it is still cold for them too. And, and it's telling you that I'm so fresh and I'm so good because the calyxes that surround the fruit are really beautiful and green, green, yeah, pristine, and the, and the stems are really, really green yes. and, and happy. So people have been buying these because they put them in the kids' lunches, they take them to the office. Um, yeah, so there's plenty out there. They're uh, $20, $22 a kilo. You can buy cheaper, but buy cheaper, cheaper flavour. So, you know, be careful what you're buying. They're so sweet. They are. They're one now. They're the sweet and you can taste Mini Roma's got more sugar. The round one's got a little bit more acid, but, you know, they're both very, very popular. Uh, and also we've been spoiled. We've been getting some um, very, very thick asparagus from Mildura. Um, they don't look so pretty because it's been windy, but the flavour spectacular. People still buying a half kilo to a kilo, even though they're $30 a kilo. Yep. Um, much better than the imported stuff, much fresher as well. Um, cabbages have become popular again, even though they're $10 each, which, again, is probably 20 to 30 years since we sold them at that price. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I've cut them into thirds and quarters and people buying a little bit and, and you know, either adding it to a salad or adding it to a soup or something like that. Um, yeah, because you, you, you don't need much. No, you um, don't need much. Passion fruit is still stupidly ex- oh, inexpensive. I don't, what's going on? Panama ones over there, I think he's throwing them out two for a dollar, which is probably about the wholesale price at Whoa. the moment. Uh, and there's an abundance of citrus. Um and even though the veggies are a little bit dearer, we need food. We need good food. So get out there, pick the eyes out of the market. And what is the pick of the market? Uh, well, look, not to sound like a broken record, but we had some beautiful beans and mm. I sold that early because I didn't buy as many as I normally do. So, you know, people were buying a handful, even though they were having a dinner party. Instead of buying 100 grams a person, they were buying 50 grams a person. And then bulking the plate up with something else is beautiful. Sweet potatoes. We bought some sweet potatoes. Yes, we don't sweet normally potatoes. sell. 
Super cheap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we got the prettiest ones in the market. They're a little bit dearer, five dollars. Yeah. You can pay anything from three to five dollars. Yep. If you want to keep them longer, you buy the fresher ones. If you're happy to use them sooner, the older ones are sweeter. Mm. Um, you name it, it's all out there. It's just a matter of deciding what you want to eat, when you want to eat, how you want to eat it. And make that decision when you arrive at the market. Yeah, definitely. Make your list. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Make your list, but deviate. Live on the edge. Yeah. Be uh, and you live know. a long life. Oh, la dolce vita. Uh, thanks for the coffee. Thanks for the show and tell. Uh, yeah, and don't forget, radicchio. You don't like the bitterness? Soak it in water. We've got something to compliment. We've got what, what's normally curly, but this cucumber's about... Handspan. Oh, yeah, handspan, thin. This is a long cucumber that you'd normally get wrapped up, but they've culled them early because there's either too many on the plant or they're not straight. And the Lebanese ones are so expensive. Yeah, and, and these are nearly the same price. But anyway, mm. these are crunchier, juicier, no seed in them. So, mm. you know, beautiful snack on. Crunch on your plate. Okay, back to the studio. Thank you, John. Have a gorgeous day, everybody. Will do. Thank you for the sunshine and the coffee. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Triple R is uh, who you are listening to. But you know that, don't you? Because uh, you're an informed, beautiful human being. All of you out there. So um, we hope that you're having a beautiful day. I'm here with Carl Chapman, who's uh, who's back from uh, the Northern Hemisphere and spending a little bit of time. It's great to see you. Great to see you, Cam. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and uh, we are looking after the place. This is the food show. It's called Eat It. And, of course, Indigenuity will be coming on after we finish at 1 o'clock. So uh, stay tuned. The uh, The afternoon just gets better. And better and better. But I have to say that possibly the best job anybody could be having on a Sunday afternoon when it's all sunny is this man here. His name is Justin Metcalf. He's known as the international man of coffee mystery. He usually travels with a coffee grip and a gun in a suitcase. But he's agreed to talk to us now. Justin, a very, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Cam. How are you? Very, 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 very well. Um, go on, tell us, what are you doing? Where are you? <laughs> I've uh, just packed up with my uh, coffee van and I've been doing coffees at uh, a dog obedience school, mm-hmm. which uh, we also make puppy chinos, Cam, which... Uh, the dogs just love. <laughs> they, they they go crazy for. But uh, specifically, it's not so much. He was actually he was sort of alluding to the fact that on the Sundays it's not so much the dogs, the grown ups, but you're yeah. just surrounded by puppies. I know. How good that? I, I mean, um... can't think of anything better. Well, you know, I can think of a few things, but you know, um, but from from just a, a lovely innocent point of view of seeing these glorious little things, yeah. these little balls of fluff, depending yeah. on the breed, of course, um, that uh, that they're around. So uh, you... Uh, okay, well, just before we move into barista competitions, which is why I've got you on the, on the line, um, mm-hmm. did you have a favourite today as far as cute puppy? Indulge um, me. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a number of cute 
cute puppies that we serve every Sunday, but uh, <laughs> yeah, look, I can't really define one of them. They're, okay. all, they're all fantastic. They're all got their own, own individual um, idiosyncrasies. Yeah, they do. They love their lactose-free puppuccinos. There you go. You got it out there because I'm sure there was going to be someone ringing up beforehand and going, you know, you really shouldn't give, uh, uh, yeah. you know, casein to pets. It's yeah. the same as her. No, you no, no, no coffee. Yeah, or no chocolate. Coffee. You should not feed. No chocolate, Do no not... coffee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, now, uh, what's it? Anthony Douglas of Axel yeah, Coffee Axel Roasters. Coffee. Yes, second, um, year, second year that he's uh, uh, won the southern region. Yes. Um, which is uh, terrific, and I... Do applaud Dave Makem from Axel and his crew for the support that they they is, give their brewers. Oh, Dave Makem? I remember that name yeah, from yeah, uh, when we to used to work together, and I used to um, used to get me to MC the coffee competitions. Correct. Um, I can't remember why I lost that gig. Must have done something horrendous <laughs> or something. But uh, but I, it was always such a such a fascinating competition that people had to do and. Um, certainly Dave was very much on top of his game in those because he was actually competing in those things. But it's a, it's a competition that really brings out the butterflies in people. Can you describe what people have to do to, uh, first of all, compete and then secondly prevail and win? Well, it's a it's a lengthy it's certainly a lengthy career. It's not something that you can pick up a porter filter and decide to um just compete. have a crack. Yeah, I think uh it's certainly a, a seasoned a seasoned barista of uh many years, uh who basically takes on, on a an opportunity to source great great coffee from around the world. Um, even travel to those origins and select and pick and roast and do all sorts of different things and then create four four espresso coffees, four milk-based drinks and then four of their own signature beverages over a 15-minute time frame. Are they not um, making... Do they still do a cappuccino? Well, they call it they call it uh, a milk-based drink now. Oh, so okay. not, not so not so much a cappuccino, but uh, they um, they certainly look at trying to harmonise the coffee and milk flavours together in in sort of equal formats, if if you like. Yeah, because this is the thing. Because you've got to have a um, a coffee that the judges are going to love. <clears throat> but it first of all has the profile with. The milk in it, which changes it, and then without, which uh, which is a, a completely different beast. So, it's got to ride that line of being acceptable on both sides of that fence. It does, and I think the selections of coffees these days are a lot different than um, many years ago. Mm, um, in what way? And so, in, well, certainly uh, not just the one coffee is selected for the whole of the routine. It can be oh, uh, you can split it. Different, so you know they're they're basically challenging the barista to uh, create a coffee, whether it's milk based or signature based or just p- purely espresso based, um, on its unique flavour and trying to bring that out, and also of course with the milk based drink, mm. you're penetrating that coffee flavour through, so you're getting a good balance between coffee and milk. It's uh, and then of course you've got to come up with. Uh your own little bit of alchemy, and uh, this is where 
uh, people's personalities come out and their, uh, their creativity, is put, of course, um, is able to come through and they have to, uh, to make the signature drink. And, uh, and they can be just wild and weird, like uh, I think, what was it, David Macon was using the spuma gun for one of his things yeah, years ago, if I remember rightly? There's so many different formats now in regards to how mm. they basically tell a story all the way through uh, yeah. their signature beverage, and, and it's it's actually very fascinating to watch, and the different flavour flavors that uh, that are about um, with the different processing of coffees as well uh, makes it very, very unique uh, to that barista and what they're trying to do with their coffee. But, um, you know, one of these things with the barista competitions, Cam, as you know, I think when the barista competition started worldwide in 2000, think of the development wow. of where we see coffee now in Melbourne and how Melbourne is seen as still the coffee capital of the world. It's quite amazing. It, well, it still is, and uh, and dare we say it, I think way back in 19... It was even 93 and 98 where McDonald's was forced to open up a McCafe because of uh, of that very thing and the fact that Starbucks was pretty much chased out of the country because of that thing. And uh, we should be very, very um, proud of that. Um, <clears throat> looking back on Anthony's presentation... <coughs> excuse me, so sorry. Um, he um, His signature... What has it got here? The, just I don't know if you got the, the release on this. I thought it might get you to comment on it. Uh, and also the fact uh, about the coffee, which he calls, he calls anaerobic natural coffee. Uh, one ingredient yeah. included a lacto-fermented pomegranate. Uh, yeah. Involved fermenting the pomegranate and straining the syrup um, relating to Anthony's choice to source anaerobic natural coffee. I wanted something with a big, intense flavors that were obvious and easy for the churches to pick up. Second ingredient was a Colombian honey to highlight the sweetness. Uh, and then yeah. what do we got? The third ingredient was a date syrup to highlight the butterscotch note he achieved in the milk course where he made the decision to curate a milk blend and then just to, just when you think it doesn't get much more complicated than that if you want to just put another layer of difficulty the fourth ingredient was a juniper reduction in the espresso there were beautiful red wine tannins juniper has beautiful complex tannins as well so that was the inspiration behind using that ingredient it's this is really intellectual stuff isn't it and then you got to make it work on the day so that you actually Absolutely. put it under the, the judge's nose and it's exactly how you intended it to be. And you think about Bloody that he, he also has to explain that all to the judges. Yeah. And, the, and one slight mishap in regards to a descriptor yeah. and if it doesn't meet that criteria, then, of course, uh, he loses points. So can, I, can I paint for you just a hellish scenario? Yes. You're just about to go on the barista competition and you get the hiccups. <laughs> just, just, I just thought of that. It was just diabolical, but I, I don't well, know if you've ever experienced that. Well, I don't think I've ever... I've, I've seen many, many nerves. Oh, um, yeah, I've seen that too. And all sorts of things, but, uh, Cam, I don't think I've ever seen anyone with the hiccups. Well, the poor people. You'd be a poor love if you did. Anyway, sorry, that's just a... Okay, scenario that has never taken place, but um, just getting back to that whole thing of not only do you have to be um, uh, able to make the coffee so that it's almost like muscle memory, 
you know, like doing something 10,000 times so it becomes that way, um, but also to be able to keep up the patter um, and the intellectual ideas that you're trying to put forward regarding uh, what you're doing. It's a tough gig doing these competitions, not for the faint-hearted. No, it's not, and it's a routine that you, as like any athlete who would be practising long jump or anything like that, it's all about just muscle memory, retention of uh, your own memory and how your descriptors work. So it's a routine that you practice over and over over and over again. Yeah. Um, And then you've got to, obviously you've got to then be able to uh, have passion go through that that whole descriptor. Um, You've got to raise your voice, lower your voice. You've got to be in full control Mm. of how you're presenting it's it excitingly and uh, you know with passion and love. So there's a lot of a lot of things that the judges can see, and most judges will always see whether or not it's fake or if it's scripted. I think that's where the better baristas, um, the champion baristas, tend to talk straight off the off the cuff, but they have a a pre sort of. Um, script that they use, but they they really do work hard on who the judges they are serving, knowing their names, yep. whether left-handed, right-handed, which side the spoon sits on the on the saucer, all of really? those things. Wow. Yes, okay. um, that a good judge needs to know and determine. Yes, uh, about the barista that's in front. Like uh, uh, I, I, I take it that uh, you you know you as well as your thriving business that you have and looking after the puppies on Sunday, uh, you might have missed the competition. Is there any um, uh, evidence of it uh, having taken place on the webs? Like, can you do YouTube in the in the last minute that we have, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. You can YouTube it, and also bear in mind that the Australian Brister Championships are taking place in Melbourne between the 17th and 20th of August. Yes. Um, And then, obviously, we've got the World Brister Championships uh, at night. That's at uh, Jeff Shed um, got later in the year. So the Worlds are here. Wow. This is the second time Melbourne's had the actual World Final here. Um, So it's an exciting few months for the Australian Specialty Coffee Association and and baristas. We're going to have... Fifty baristas from all around the world representing their country right here in Melbourne. All right. Well, maybe what we should do, uh, we couldn't speak to Anthony, and that's uh, uh, that's a shame. But let's uh, congratulate him, and uh, let's hope that he's able to come through in the nationals. Um, yep. And then, failing that, whether uh, an Australian is uh, able to win the uh, Take the World title. Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, we need you to come in here and fix our coffee machine. But no, I'm not going to ask you to do that. No, 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 no. no. Uh, you just stay with the puppies and we will speak to you soon, buddy. Thank you so much okay. for your time. Thanks, Cam. Have a good day. Will do. Uh, there he is, uh, Justin Metcalf, uh, International Man of Coffee Mystery. Uh, next week, we we will be uh, speaking with Jess Ho, now author of a memoir titled Raised by Wolves. I'm very much looking forward to that. Carl, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Cam. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. 
broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 